Welcome to the Behold Do Good podcast. I'm your host, Todd Marchant, and this is a show for those who desire increased capacity, the capacity needed to live fully and to show up well for those you love. If your life is anything like ours, you often experience the reality that you don't have much to give when your own cup is empty. These struggles inspired my wife, Ashley, and I to embark on an ongoing journey of healing and wholeness. Our journey has not removed the challenges out of life, but it has given us practical tools to increase our capacity to deal with those challenges and to create the life we want. We created this podcast to share those tools so you can care for yourself and so we can together care for the world. Enjoy the show today. And if you're looking for additional support, head on over to beholddogood.com. Welcome back to the Behold Do Good podcast. I am super privileged to be here today with Dr. Andrea Line, who is a clinician, researcher, and educational leader with a PhD in clinical and school psychology. Now, Andrea, you've spent uh, your career of over 20 years helping individuals, families, and organizations strengthen their social emotional well being. And you've done that in a bunch of different settings, including schools, clinics, and in organizations. But over the last few years, I love the way you've started to shift the focus of your career. You've really become centered on parents and parents of teens and young adults who are bright, wonderful, but may be struggling. And and you're doing it with virtual parent coaching, education, consulting. And ultimately, I think ever since you and I first connected a few years ago, you and I have just felt this this sense of alignment, this connection with our mission, our purpose, the good we're trying to do in the world. And so it's just been wonderful to know you. It's been wonderful to collaborate with you. And I'm grateful you're here on the show today. Well, thank you. I am so excited to be a part of this show. And yes, I have spent and enjoyed many years working with some incredible families. Well, let's let's talk just briefly about your family. Tell us about your family. Oh, goodness. <laughs> let's see. I That is such a big question. What I, first of all, I'm the oldest of four. And um, for the podcast listeners, I am multiracial. So you can't see me, but I, my father is from the Philippines and my mother is Caucasian. She grew up in a little farm town in Wisconsin. They met in Australia and then they had me and three more children. And so when I think about my family, I think about two very adventurous, brave people who left everything they knew to start something different. And that included a family, which back in the seventies, there weren't a lot of us. (laughs) And I was probably like one of the few kids other than my siblings who, you know, looked a little different and people weren't sure what we were, what they knew something was different, but they, they didn't know how to ask. Or, um, so I I grew up in that time, you know, today is as much it's very a very different time, thankfully. But I grew up with a sort of, um, it was normal to be mixed for me. But as I got older and I had more uh, just awareness that it wasn't the norm for everyone else and people had questions and they were curious, um, that was part of my identity development as part of my family. One of the struggles of that um, was the cultural, you know, the, these two people came into a marriage, I think, not realizing just how very different their cultural background was. My mo- my mother came from this, you know, Norwegian, German, Scandinavian background and my father's family just couldn't be 
farther apart in terms of um, you know what their norms were. So so that was a part of my family upbringing and. Um, Luckily, you know, back in those days, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My father was actually in the military. Um, we didn't move around too much, but part of the the sad part of my story, and part of a very big part of what led me to do the work that I have spent most of my career doing, is my parents' marriage was very fraught. I think from the beginning, um, and I, being the eldest, sort of was probably more aware of how fraught it was. And by the time I was in middle school, things really started to fall apart. And by the time I was in high school, it was like done. Um, and my dad moved out and I was crushed because I was daddy's girl. Mm-hmm. And um, in some ways it was a blessing because it was there was so much strife in the home that that wasn't healthy. Um, but, you know, I think every kid deep down inside wishes, you know, no one wants a family to break apart. Um, of course, so of course. so there was there was a lot of sadness um, and um, and and actually there was a lot of trauma. And as a teenager, I saw therapists. I was really depressed and I was su- actually suicidal at one point. So all of that, that's in my background. And I'm very open about it because I want um, when I worked with teenagers specifically, I wanted them to know that when I was listening to them and their struggles, I really, I might not know their exact struggle, but I had been a teenager who questioned, do I want to wake up tomorrow? Like that was, there was a long period of time where I just wasn't sure. Um, And so from that painful place came this, um, you know, luckily I I was able to evolve. And I I still think to this day, I want to send a a letter to my therapist, the adolescent psychologist who worked with me. And I was not an easy client. You know, I was one of like, I was the person who had to be dragged to therapy with my arms crossed and didn't want to talk. And like, why in the world do you want to talk about my father? You know, like I didn't, I couldn't make the connection between those, those pieces at that point in my life. Um, but I have so much compassion and I just have such a heart and I have a lot of hope, even though my family story is what it was. And it, it wasn't like there was this happy ending at the end, except that we all in our own time and ways, you know, all of my siblings, we've we've gone on to live, I think, so, sort of miraculously, really beautiful, full lives. Um, and I have two siblings. They each have four kids each. And they just have these just beautiful families. Right. And I think we just have this commitment to one another as siblings. We had to create a sort of family with amongst ourselves, you know, when our parents were dealing with their stuff. So um, I, I'm big on sibling relationships. Of course, I'm big on parents. You know, it doesn't always work out, but when um, when you can make it work, you know, that's awesome for your kids. And if you can't make it work, the, you know, really helping parents to have, or at least guard their children from the um the harm that can happen in a in a you know a nasty kind of divorce um because i've seen a lot of that unfortunately so but i just think you know healthy happy families it's the foundation of the rest the, the community you know our cities our schools everything it, it it's that's where it's at i mean if our families aren't doing well then the individuals within that family aren't doing well and they come into schools. We see this, right? We know this, like they, they come in and, and just everything starts to break down. So for me, I love, I love focusing on the family union unit. 
Oh, I, I'm so grateful for you you sharing that, Andrea. I think that context really magnifies the message that you have to share, that it's rooted in such a, a, a real experience of struggle. And very real. I, yeah. and, and I think it, it's truly a beautiful story, as as you mentioned, you know, miraculous in some ways, and it doesn't always work out the way that it's worked out, you know, for your family. But yet, yes, while your family had particular challenges. And I know that the the cultural kind of uh, contentions that can come up uh, are one of those that is that can be very difficult. You know, yeah. having that that sense of trying to find your own identity when you have clear physical differences from those around you, all of those things can be challenging. Mm-hmm. And yet, every family has some form of challenges. Every right. family has That's some right. form of, of of weight or burden or difficulty or baggage from previous generations. That's Every right. single one of us has that. And mm-hmm. so to be able to see that even in your situation, mm-hmm. that you have emerged to create this beautiful life, mm-hmm. not perfect, but beautiful right. life. It, it's it's this message that that gives me comfort, both in the sense of of you know my ability to overcome some of my challenges, but also I see my imperfections as a parent more than anybody and to have hope that, that with some intentionality, with some focus that I can give my kids a beautiful life, despite my weaknesses as a parent gives me a lot of hope too. That is right. And I think that is such an important message. I'm glad you, you mentioned that. I think a lot of parents, especially today with social media and so much overload of how to parent the right. I mean, and in some ways it's wonderful because you know, I actually just was having lunch yesterday and this group of young mothers with their, you know, ba- infants in their arms were sitting there having lunch. And I was, and I was just sort of overhearing conversation. And I thought, gosh, when I was a young mother and my, my daughter is now grown, but at, in that time there was no social media. I mean, I was going, I was buying books and I was going to the library, you know, there, there was, there was certainly the internet. <laughs> I'm not that old, but you know, it just, it's a very different time. Um, so it's, it's accessible. I mean, all these podcasts and all these, you know, all the stuff, but, um, I think there can definitely be the overload and the sense of if I'm not doing it all and I haven't learned to do it all great, you know, am I damaging my child? Is it irreversible? You know, whether your child's one or five or 13. And I, and I really try to encourage parents, there is always room for repair. There's always room for repair. And that's actually the the most important skill I think parents can learn strategically, you know, in parenting is one to be able to acknowledge and be humble. Like I'm not a perfect person, you know, and I think some parents it comes more easily than others, depending on what kind of environment they grew up in. But just to be able to uh, model for your child, you know, this is, I messed up and I shouldn't have said that or done it that way and repair. I mean, I think I could, I have a laundry list of things. If I think back on my active parenting years where I'm like, or or even just the last year, I I could, I could, I'm sure think of something where I'm like, oh, why did I, you know, why did I do that or say that? Or I was stressed out in that moment. And I, and I wasn't as present as I wanted to be, but you know, when you learn the skills of being able to repair with your child in a developmentally appropriate way, of course, um, it it really is a you know it's just amazing what children they're so eager to want to come back to you right they want to be back in connection with you as much as you want to um, but they need you to lead the way 
they they're not going to just naturally know how to do that. And so when parents can really practice and learn that, then their kid also can model when they mess up, whether it's with you as a parent or at school with another kid or their teacher, you know, it's not a big deal. There's not all the shame and the, and the blame that gets lumped. Which I think for a lot of us, I certainly felt that growing up. And I don't mean that in a uh, blaming way of my parents. It's just, it's a different time now. I think that we've all, we're kind of all evolving to different ways of thinking about parenting, which yeah. is refreshing. It's, it's refreshing. very refreshing. And yes. I have, and I have so much hope. Um, I have so much hope for this generation and future generations that come after. I think we can get, it's easy to get depressed or it's easy for older generations to look at you know, Gen Z or the, you know, whatever the, whatever the next one is and say, oh, well, you know, they're growing up with all this, all these devices and it's easy to judge and then be worried. Um, And it's not that we shouldn't take a critical eye at some things, but I really have hope in our humanity that we learn and evolve generation by generation. And I felt this is again, part of my own story. I, I didn't have the words for it at the time. But I, maybe it's the, being the eldest daughter in the family, I just wanted to break the cycle. There was definitely intergenerational stuff on both sides of my family, Um, relationship issues, mental health issues, all of this stuff. And I, something in me clicked, you know, in my twenties where I'm like, I don't want to repeat this. I don't want to pass this down to my children and my grandchildren and my grandchildren's grandchildren, right? Like I want to break the cycle. And I think a lot of parents are really committed to that sort of thing in their own family line. Oh, I totally agree. And I'm I'm so grateful that this has come up naturally here at the beginning of the conversation, because as we go through the rest of our conversation here, we're going to talk about a lot of things that are truly empowering, but that sometimes when we, when we hear the way that we could approach something or a great you know, principle that we haven't done, or we've, we've seen ourselves do the opposite of many, many times. Again, it is so easy to get self-critical. And so I just love that here at the, at the beginning, you know, we're talking about this in the sense of, Hey, we all are going to have that. And there's not a single parent who's going to listen to this conversation, who is not going to see a gap between some of how they're doing things today, or they've done it in the past and how they could be doing it. And that, that it's always possible to self or to repair. I love, I love that thought. And so I'm I'm grateful for you sharing that. Yes. Yes. So with that, you know, as we think about parenting, obviously there's a million different parenting topics, but specifically what we have wanted to focus on today is this idea of emotional intelligence and, and both how we can be the leader of emotional intelligence in our families and help our kids to cultivate emotional intelligence. And I think that topic, emotional intelligence is one that has been talked about a lot more in the past years, but it's usually in terms of business and, yes. and, and leadership of teams. Yep. But, but I'd love for you to just share a little bit. Why is emotional intelligence? Like, first of all, what is emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and why is it so important for families? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, I'm so glad you're bringing this up because I think um, historically, while there are, there are books out there that are geared you know, towards families and parents, there certainly are nowadays, but by and large, when this concept of emotional intelligence kind of came on the scene, people ran with it, particularly in terms of leadership, 
becoming an emotionally intelligent leader. And I love all that stuff. I, you know, I, I also speak on that for, you know, in corporate settings, but, but because of my work with families and emotional intelligence in the, in the most simple kind of easy to grasp kind of language is, is really just being able to be aware of your emotions, number one, to be able to sort of understand and label them even to sort of have a, a language around it. Um, and then being able to manage those emotions in a healthy way so that your behavior isn't being controlled by your emotions necessarily, that you can, um, you've got control. Um, we, we use the word regulation, you know, self-regulation in, in psychology, but so that then also that has a spillover effect into how we're interacting with others. So there's a social piece in there as well. And there, I think the research shows that some people are uh, come into the world with a little bit more of that naturally, you know, some of their temperament or some of those, um, they, they're just a little more gifted in that way of thinking and being in the world and others have to work on it, but everyone can learn. Everyone can get better. There are, you know, definite skills and things that can be taught and they, and they do a lot of this now in the schools. But when I think about emotional intelligence in the family, I, and I think, oh, look, all this training that they do for CEOs, you know, and managers and great. Um, I, I wish there was more emphasis helping parents think of themselves as the emotional leader in their home because your, your kid, that's the first place your kids are going to learn it. And many of us did not learn these things, certainly not explicitly growing up, unless we were in some really wildly unique situation where that happened. Um, most of us didn't get that. We sort of, if we turned out okay this way, you know, it was sort of it, probably because it was modeled for us and we had healthy parents who, who were able to regulate their emotions well, um, or maybe teachers and other people, you know, we sort of got it from these different places. But, um, a lot of parents walk into family life having not done all the work that they could have. And that's not a judgment. That's just facts. I mean, I'll say that about myself. I, I walked into it um, and I, and I still had a lot to learn. So the more, and if we think about this again, as a journey, it's not like it's good or bad or right or wrong to, you know, have a child and, and you don't have these skills. It's just, if you're a parent and you're listening to this, <laughs> then find out more, you know, just start learning more, grab a book, listen to podcasts like these. Um, Cause the first step is really having some self-awareness because without having any understanding of your own um, skills, sort of in this neutral, you know, observation of yourself, not being overly critical, but also not being um, a little, I guess, in denial, <laughs> you know, there are some people who maybe need a lot of work and they they don't want to look at that. So I think for most listeners to this, they're probably already the kind of person who's very eager to learn and they're, and they're, they have some sense of self-awareness, but there are books and, um, you know, even going into therapy, if that would be helpful, depending on the person and, and other kind of trainings that can help someone develop those skills. Um, and usually, you know, you need to, 
if you're coming home and you're having a lot of relational issues, whether with your spouse and or with your kids, usually our emotions, if you think about just like in a typical hard day, right? If it, For any of us, we have a bad day at work, we come home, we don't have a way to transition from work to home life to show up as our best self. That's very that's a very hard transition for most families. Kids are coming home from school if they're old enough to be in school. Everyone's had a full day and now we still need to, you know, probably get homework done, get dinner on the table, have some kind of family connection or whatever and then get people bathed, get to bed, blah blah blah, right? Right. It's a it's a whole thing. Um and so I remember for me, um, when I was finishing up grad school, I was doing my clinical internship. It was a grueling year. And I actually have, I was, a, for most of my parenting, I was a single parent. And I just remember coming home and being, not being happy with the parent that was walking through the door. It's not that there weren't other days before that year, but that year in 2006 was very, it was a critical year for me. And I remember um, thinking, I need to do something different. And I actually happened to be learning at that time. It was very sort of still very new. It's not new nowadays in 2022, but, uh, or 2023 rather that, um, I was learning dialectical behavior therapy. And, um, as part of that, there's a huge emphasis on teaching mindfulness. Well, as therapists, we had to learn it right? In order to teach it, we had to learn it. And so I had not been exposed to that at all, but I started incorporating that into my transition home. And it was amazing how quickly it helped. <laughs> I was sort of amazed. And I thought, huh, this is actually quite easy. It doesn't even take that long. I'm literally, we're going to walk through the door. I've been sitting in traffic for an hour. It's late. I'm feeling stressed. I need to make her dinner. You know, we've got the whole thing. And I just started a new thing where I would sit on the floor in front of the couch and I would tell her, just give me a few minutes before we did anything. And I just would close my eyes and practice just breathing. I would give myself like a couple of minutes. Some days it was longer, but just that I would get up from that place and then I could go make dinner and I could show up again. And that was, and I'm not saying that after 2006, I was perfect at it, but it was that year that I realized I needed to try and do something different. And I think for a lot of parents, this is the kind of, you know, how you sort of assess, you know, if you, if you get to the end of the day and you're like, oh, I just, I shouldn't have yelled at them like that, or I lost it. I lost my cool, or, you know, I'm really actually upset at my boss and I'm like taking it out, you know, my family, it's very normal. Um, those are those, those are the kind of clues to what can you do first to be aware what is the actual emotion I'm feeling? Where is it really directed? It's probably not directed towards my family, although there are moments where it, it, it is. Um, but then how do, what, what tools can I use? What strategies do I use to regulate my own emotions? So all of that, whether it's anger or anxiety or just, you know, ir irritability isn't spilling out and affecting the whole atmosphere of the home because that is what it does. When Because you are the leader of your home. Um, and, and so I, that's a long answer to your question, but I think, you know, those are some of the, a practical thing, you know, things that parents can try doing, but it really starts with being self-aware and, and saying, how, how smooth do our days go? What's the atmosphere in our home? What would my kids say? I, I usually ask parents, ask your kid, how would you describe our home to other people? Like what words would you use? 
Is it fun? Is it calming? Is it, you know, energetic? Is it kind of scary? You know, they might not say that to you, but like it's, it's having those conversations or asking yourself even like, how would I describe our home atmosphere to someone else? Um, and as the parent, you could, you could certainly try blaming your children for the atmosphere, you know, like they're toddlers and they're, and they're, and there's, and there's truth in that. But again, you're the parent, you, you're the leader. That's like telling the CEO, you know, that he, he or she doesn't have any control over, you know, the culture of the company. Absolutely not true. It's up to them to set the culture. It starts at the top. So I just take all that stuff that's really good for businesses and and and, and use it as parallels for parents, part, partly because I think a lot of the parents that I work with can, they're leaders in their in their world. And so they can sort of transfer some of those skills into the home. But even for parents who aren't, you know, they're not in the corporate world, this is this is the concept of it. You're the leader, take charge, be intentional about the atmosphere you would like to create. And it starts with you. Well, and I, I think all of us have seen how tied our kids' emotions are to ours. Yes. That, that when we are in a really calm state, the ability yes. to get them to a calm state is much yes. easier. Or That's if we're in a stressed, irritable state, how quickly they start acting in a stressed, irritable way. You know, I, I certainly have seen that in our home. And, and it makes sense. You know, it's a system that, mm-hmm. that w- there's this complex inner, inner connectedness yep. to our family. And I love that you shared that story because it's one, I think we all can relate with, of having a long day, feeling our cup empty, That's feeling, right. you know, frustrated about one thing or another, or overwhelmed or stressed or discouraged. Mm-hmm. And then we come home and, you know, family, part of why families are the fundamental unit of society uh, is, is certainly because of that building block nature, but, but it also, there's something about the family and the home that is like the ideal place, learn anything to learn character, to learn a way of life, you know? And, and, and so it, 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 I, I mentioned that because part of why it's that way from my observation is because it's not easy. (laughs) It's one of the hardest things we do. And, and so, you know, you come home in that, that depleted state and all of a sudden, you know, one of the very normal challenges of family life occurs and it's Mm -hmm. so easy to let it all out. And so I, I, I think it's interesting hearing about the intensity of that year for you, the pressure, the, the amount of exhaustion Mm -hmm. and yet a very simple practice. Mm-hmm. I've taken a few moments when you got home mm-hmm. to, to breathe and mm-hmm. to look inward and to process the day uh, allowed you to show up as the more as the parent that you wanted. Yes. And I, and I think that started the journey for me all the years after that of recognizing more and more how much choice and control I could have and setting the tone in my home. And of course I wanted that, but there are, there were plenty of days where I, where, you know, unconsciously I'm, I'm sure I thought, oh, I don't have any, of course I'm stressed. Of course I'm stressed, right? Like I'm stressed. <laughs> if anyone knew me and during that time, they knew I was like, I'm stressed. And yes, that was true. And there's, there's going, there, life is stressful. There are stresses in life, right? So it's, it's not about let's, how do we make a life that's never stressful? I mean, first of all, that's what are we teaching our children then? Like that's not preparing them, but it's just, here's what we do. I mean, and now, now I, you know, I love, um, 
going for a long walk and t- and and part of this also is like setting the tone and again it it depends on how old your kids are it's very different when they're very young versus when they're 10 and 11 and 12 versus when they're 16 17 18 but you you start to develop the family culture of like this is normal um mom mom needs to take 15 minutes and go for a little walk by herself and put her earbuds in and just you know whatever or dad needs to you know um go for a run or you know, Susie needs to, you know, just go sit in her room right after school and just like read a book that she likes for 10 minutes just because she needs a little quiet time. Like, and it becomes normal in the home of everyone has permission and in fact are encouraged to do what they need to do to take care of themselves so that then we can come back as a family and it's and it's pleasant and enjoyable. And when everyone feels like they have space and time to do that, more or less, you know, um, then like beautiful, wonderful things happen. And it doesn't actually have to be that complicated. That's, and I know what I, when I'm saying all this now, there, I'm sure there are families going, you have no idea what is happening in my house or what I have to deal with. I don't, that's true. We all have, I don't mean to oversimplify this. I just mean, um, start where you are. You start, you start just, ever so tiny with the tiniest little shifts. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't happen in these big, you know, um, moments. It, it just happens over time in tiny little shifts. And I think when we can give ourselves permission to make those little baby steps over years and not think we've got it all, you know, have it all figured out and have everything perfect and peaceful. And if it's not peaceful right now, like what's, what's wrong with us, you know, it just takes time, but it's building that culture and, um, and it's so worth the investment. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. It's actually one thing as I was considering again today and and how how much parenting can be a source of, again, harsh self-criticism. It's something I just was I felt very sensitive to. Mm-hmm. And and so one of the things I, I was hoping to emphasize, and you already brought it up and, and did so so beautifully, is is that idea of starting where we are. Mm-hmm. And that there, there's this just great power when we can embrace our humanity. We embrace the fact that all of us are human, that all of us are imperfect, that all of us are going to have flaws in our parenting and in our life in general. Mm -hmm. So it's not about not having flaws and not, not about our imperfections, uh, but more so about how can we just take where we are and take the next step. And it's interesting as, as I've gotten more and more into this, you know, this, this space of wholeness, and as we've been on our own journey and now as we're you know, seeking to support, helping others on their journey, one of the things I felt drawn to do a lot of training and certifications in is around behavior change. Like how do we actually change? You know, as we start to get access to greater knowledge and understanding and awareness, it is still hard to change. And That's so right. how do we change That's these patterns? Right. And, and, you know, what I've learned through, through this great mentorship of these wonderful behavioral scientists is that change happens best one, when, uh, we feel good, not bad, uh, two change happens best when we start really small, when we start really tiny and it's, and it's hard when we hear something and and we get inspired and it's like, okay, I see this vision of where I can go. I see this path of how to get there. I see where I am today, but there's this big gap. And we try to leap and get all the way to that, that kind of ideal vision and it falls on its face in such a way that it leads to more discouragement and oftentimes makes it even harder versus if we can just break it down to something so small, I think about 
something like after my child walks through the school, uh, through the door after school, I say one thing I love about them. Yeah. Or the first time I see my child in the morning, I give them a hug, you know, starting with small, simple things like that. Or when I get home Absolutely. for the day, I take one minute to breathe yes. and close my eyes, like start with one small thing. Yes. And that can lead to a momentum and a movement that, that will, you know, amaze us at, at where it Absolutely. takes Absolutely. Everything you summarized there, right. That is exactly it. We, I won't repeat what you said, but it it, it reminds me, I, I was coaching a group of moms, you know, busy as they all are busy, busy moms in a group at some point. And one of the first, the first week we got together, I said, uh, um, and it was all about their well-being, sort of supporting their well-being so they could show up in the world, you know, they want the way they wanted to. And I, the first assignment I gave them was, I think it wasn't even one minute. I think it was 30 seconds because it was a huge deal for them to even show up on a Zoom call to meet, you know, and and have time away from their kids and get their husband, you know, just all every logistical um, obstacle that they needed to get. And so I did not want them to experience failure in that first week. So the first week, I just said, all I want you to do every day, I don't, if you have to lock yourself in the bathroom, do it. <laughs> but 30 seconds, I just want you to breathe. That's it. And you, it doesn't need to be longer than 30 seconds. Because any, if I say 30 seconds, most people can say, okay, I could do that. I could do that for 30 seconds. I could find 30 seconds in a day and I could do it, right? It's it's so small that most of them probably did it longer than 30 seconds. Then you feel good about yourself and you're like, oh, I overachieved. <laughs> I went beyond the 30 seconds because it felt good and I wanted to do it a little longer. But, and I am so guilty. I think most of us are, but, you know, I, I think some of us are built to really, you know, want to take this huge leap and have it be perfect. All or nothing. Right. All right. Right in the beginning. And it's like, no, no, that's not, it's not the most effective way, you know, to, to create change, but also keeping those same principles in mind when we want to change behavior in our children, how do we make, how do we help them to feel good? And how do we, whatever it is that we want to see them change, break it down into these itty bitty steps. So it, so it's very doable and they can experience success, which is motivating naturally to then want to keep going and trying some more. Oh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And I, it's interesting to use the 30 seconds because, you know, one of my mentors, BJ Fogg out of Stanford, his research shows that actually, if you want to create a lasting habit, then you make the bar for that habit 30 seconds or less. Uh, and and the, it naturally grows from there. But your bar every day is just 30 seconds. And I love so, it. The 30-second rule. <laughs> yes, exactly. So there's a couple of things before we wrap the conversation that I really want to get to uh, to help provide some practical. You know, it's, it's so helpful to learn principles, to gain vision, but to, to have a few more practical elements. And so to maybe help transition to into that, you know, one of the things that you've you teach often is this idea of okay, as parents, how do we teach uh, emotional intelligence? There's two ways: we ex explicit and implicit mm -hmm. uh, ways of teaching emotional intelligence. And explicit is we're doing some form of outward activity. We're reading a book about our emotions. You know, we 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 are talking with our kids about uh, the color that our uh, emotion might be associated with, or we're you know whatever it might be. Some some you know form of of really uh, outward formal education that we're trying to impart. Uh, but the implicit is what you have emphasized over and over is actually the more powerful it and is. which is simply the way we're modeling it. 
the way that we are showing how we become aware of our emotions, how we regulate our emotions in a healthy way, that that implicit example is the most powerful way that we teach, you know, emotional intelligence to our children. Mm-hmm. And obviously both are important and both have their role. Mm-hmm. But with that in mind, you know, one of the things that I, I think has helped me that you and I have talked about before is this idea of emotional attunement. To me, that just gives me a practical, you know, kind of pattern of what do I do when my kids are feeling a lot of emotion? So could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. Yes. Attunement is such a beautiful thing when done. Well, well, when done, (laughs) I'll just say it like that. Um, And attunement, the other word that came to mind as you were speaking is co-regulation. So the reason why implicit, the implicit way of of showing our kids or teaching our kids about emotional intelligence is more powerful is because of this concept of co-regulation which is sort of another um another way of thinking about attunement where we as we're regulating ourselves and our emotions actually help the child regulate theirs um, and especially for children, I work with some parents who have um, adopted children. And so there's attachment traumas inherent in that. And they have a lot of attachment issues that come about. And so a lot of what um, adoptive parents will learn is how to literally, you know, hold their child in such a way to help them, you know, hear the beating of the heart, hear the calm breathing and helps them physiologically regulate themselves. It's just an amazing way that we are created with our mirror neurons and just all the things that, you know, I'm not an expert in how it all can happen, but it's, I think it's just amazing how it, how it does work. And um, so emotional attunement, again, doesn't come naturally or easy for every parent, because in order to be able to do that well, you have to have had experienced it. And so if we didn't experience it with our own caregivers, it doesn't, we're not lost because we can experience it in depth. You know, there are healing relationships that come after that, that we can still experience it with either our our spouse or um, a therapist or, you know, someone else um, in our lives. So, so don't fret if you feel like you, you, you miss that as a child. Um, I certainly did not have the perfect setting for that. Um, And so I've had to learn and teach um, practice my own way of regulating my emotions for myself so that I can be in attunement, not just with my, certainly within my family, um, with my child, but as a therapist working with clients, there's a difference that can really be felt when someone is able to attune. And part of what is important is just being very present. Um, I think most of us can intuitively tell the difference when we're just speaking with someone, when someone is really seeing us and they're really present. And they're um, part of the language that I use for me. It might not make sense to people, but for, for me, I remind myself, I say drop down. And it's literally like I'm dropping down into the deepest part in my belly. Um, and it helps me just like get out of my head and into my body. And it's this embodied sense of well being that then we can attune, help attune ourselves to our child, and they can start to pick up on that. Um, The reason why that's important is because, you know, you could be reading a book and teaching things, right? Which is all that that's all important. It's, it's helpful. But when 
I think we can all relate to something like this too, right? When we respond to our child in such a way where our words don't match our energy, it's very confusing. And, and we've all done it as parents, I think, because we're human. Um, and we all had it done probably to us by a parent at some point, right? Where you kind of know, like something's off, like is mom or dad, are they, are they upset? Are they mad? Is it me? Did I do something? You know, something they, they said it's okay, but they said it in a way that feels a little, you know, and it just, it's emotionally confusing. And so this is the other part of emotional intelligence. When we can be more attuned to ourselves and then we can be much more clear and direct with the people around us about how we're feeling. Then I can say to my spouse, even right. Not just my child, but I am feeling this way because this happened earlier today. It has nothing to do with you, but just so you know, I just feel really irritable right now. And so maybe give me a little space for a little while and I'll go cook dinner and I'll get myself to a better place. Right. And then he doesn't have to worry. Did I do something? <laughs> she mad at me because I forgot to take out the trash, you know, something silly, but think about it. We're adults and we have that kind of thinking a lot of the time. And for children, they don't know, they don't even have the language for it. And so it just becomes internalized. It, it, it messes, it, it messes with them, you know, with their own little hearts. So emotional attunement is very important. And I think the best way to practice that is learning to be present. Um, and if you've had a lot of trauma in your life, getting treatment for that trauma is going to help you be present because the the effects of trauma psychologically to protect ourselves is to make us not present, right? Like, and I say that with a laugh only because I also had to heal from a lot of trauma. Like it's hard work but you can get there. So, so you just, you, you just need to, again, be able to assess in your own life. Is this something I need maybe a little more professional help in, or even um, for some people, a lot can be had um, just practicing meditation or yoga, getting into your body. There's lots of different modalities. You don't necessarily have to do talk therapy, but I do think, you know, trauma um, and actually the, the, the body is a very, as we all know, right? Like it, you, you can't just talk your way out of it, but but practicing presence is the pathway to that emotional attunement in your, in your um, relationships with your family members. That, that was really powerful. And it's actually, you added a lot more onto that than, than what I was oh. even initially thinking in a way that I'm so glad you did. You know, as we think about that, that role, as we implicitly teach emotional intelligence through our example of modeling, how important yeah. it is to attune or be present with our own emotional state and to learn to be able to communicate that in, in healthy ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So powerful. And one of the things I was thinking about in, in asking that question was a class that you taught to, to some of our community a while mm -hmm. back. One of the things you taught about was that with kids, as kids begin to experience hard emotions, and as you said, they, they don't understand, you know, mm -hmm. they don't have the language for it no. uh, or even the awareness uh, often yet, you know, one of the best things that we can do is not just divert them. You know, I think that's one of the things that, that sometimes is natural for me is all right, distract them, you know, like yeah, get them, yeah. get their mind on something else. And that's versus, a good technique in certain at times, times certain and places times. where that's right. where you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. But, but one of the things you taught was how supportive it can be to our kids when we can recognize and give words 
Yeah, that yeah. was probably extremely disappointing. Or you probably feel sad about this thing that occurred or, you know, doing something of that nature where we are, we are taking the moment to tune in That's to the right. emotion they may be feeling, help them to label it, help them to become aware of it. That, that one of the things that, that you taught that has, has stuck with me was that, that when we don't do that and we sometimes try to mask it, there can be a disconnect that occurs. Mm -hmm. But when we tune into it with our kids, it builds this sense of connection between us and them and, and can help them to then, you know, move through that emotion. And so I, I think that that mix of our own mm -hmm. emotional attunement mm -hmm. and then helping to do the same for our kids is, is a really wonderful thing. Yes. And you, yes, everything that you just articulated is the next step. So when I said that, that tuning in with ourselves and being present is the pathway to be able to do what you just described. Because if we aren't present, then we can't be, you know, if we're distracted in our own mind or we're just, we're, we're unable to tune into them, then we can't take a good guess at what they're feeling. We can't even maybe have, if, you know, if anyone has lived through a horrible temper tantrum that their toddler or their four-year-old, or maybe even older through, you know, through in a public place, you know, the pressure you feel to get the child to stop screaming. Right. And so I'm using that as a real life example, because when I say, oh, be present, you know, like that sounds really nice, but it takes practice. And this is where that's why the practicing breathing and getting calm when it's easy is important because then you are literally building a muscle. And I'm like, I know how to drop down. Okay. Because when that moment happens, whatever it looks like, I'm using the, I, I, I have a, a very vivid memory of that happening in my life. In the grocery store, it's like most, many parents are so stressed by it that they aren't actually able to be present. And that's not a judgment. That is again our our humanness. It's like we're embarrassed. We're we may feel shamed. We we may we may be so angry at our kid, even right, like just like stop crying, you know, or whatever it is, or we've already had a long day, and all the reasons get in the way of us being present. So, practicing getting present is so important because only from that place can you actually accurately do what you just described. And that's why I say therapists have to be able to do this too. That's what makes a good therapist, I think, is being able to be so present and empathetic that you can like pull out the emotion, put words to it and help your child develop that. So yes, all of it is important. All of it is part of the process. Um, but yeah, it's hard to do it when you're feeling like you want to pull your hair out. <laughs> Oh, I mean, you just a you lot of practice. connect dots for me right there. That was, that was wonderful. Well, uh, Andrea, I just, you know, we, we will probably have to do another one of these in, in a couple of months because there's just so much wisdom and, and helpful things to share. And, you know, as I think about even next steps for, for Ashley and I and our family, you know, one of the reasons why we created Behold Do Good is because we're, we're passionate about this work. We, we want to serve and make a difference in this way. Uh, but also because we're passionate about learning and we recognize how much we need it. And it like gives us a chance to learn more from wonderful people like you. And, yeah. and so as I think about, you know, next steps that our family will take and, and that I hope others, you know, consider that are listening. I think one of the first things is to just take a moment to talk together. And if you're a single parent, talk with a friend or, you know, whatever yeah. it might be, 
to to talk well what what is the climate the emotional climate like today in our home mm-hmm. and what do we want it to be mm-hmm. and and what's maybe one small step one thing we can start focusing on doing to build toward that emotional climate and and you know similarly consider you know what what is my current emotional regulation patterns you know, how am i kind of respond, responding and what's one small thing i can do to better model what i want my kids to learn you know i i think that type of self reflection i'm just feeling i'm feeling inspired to do and so yes. thank you for That's that andrea beautiful. Thank you. Well, this was great. I I love having these conversations and yes, we could go on and on because there's so much um, there, but, you know, I think beginning to have those conversations and reflecting and then also uh, attached to that once you, you know, you're sort of coming up with this vision for what you want it to be, um, not being afraid to ask for help, you know, and it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be a professional, but it certainly can be a friend or a family member if, if, if the climate feels, uh, too stressed because you're overwhelmed, then that's a clue that you probably need help. Right. And we, and there's, and this is where we get to lean in to um, our loved ones and community and the importance of relationships and community, which is a whole other topic, but it's all part of, you know, it's, it, this is the holistic piece of well being, right. It's, you can't think about family if you're not thinking about the people, the community supporting the families. And and it can be so hard to do that, <laughs> to, to yes. ask for help, to admit yes. that we need help. I know. But, but yet it is amazing that when we do, I think more often than not, and this is not always the case, but more often than not, people are so grateful mm-hmm. for the opportunity to provide that help. And it, and it actually strengthens our connections with other people too, which then in turn helps make it easier to, to show up emotionally within our own home. And so again, thank, thank you, Andrea. Last thank question you. is where, where can our audience find you? Well, they can find me uh, on my website. It's just my name, Andrea Line, L-E-I-N. And then on social media, it's usually Dr. Andrea Line. That's D-R period, Andrea Line. You can find me on Instagram. Facebook. I'm not a huge social media person, but I do pop up there every once in a while. Um, and I even started dabbling in TikTok, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and and hopefully a podcast from you soon too. And and yes, hopefully this year is the is the actual launch of a podcast of my own. So that that some exciting things to look forward to. Awesome. Well, thanks for being again for being a friend to the to the community here and for participating in the show. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the show today. If this episode resonated with you, I invite you to share it with a friend. As a new podcast, that small act makes a big difference. Also, if you're feeling inspired to work on your own emotional regulation patterns, to do as Andrea described in becoming more attuned to your own emotional needs, please check out our website, beholddogood.com. Coming up in a few weeks, we have enrollment opening for a course focused on developing the skills of processing our difficult emotions. The enrollment period is only about a week, so join the waitlist to be kept updated. As you grow in your own emotional regulation, you will automatically grow in your ability to be an emotional leader for your family. Natalie, one of our community members who went through this Processing Difficult Emotions course, put it this way, I have seen progress in my day-to-day happiness and do not sweat the small stuff as much. That has led me to be a calmer parent, and I am now imparting what I'm learning to my children. Another resource we have for you on our homepage is a free assessment. 
That assessment will help you to identify what aspect of whole person well-being may be most impactful for you to focus on right now. And it will also provide you some small and simple ways to strengthen that part of you. Thank you again for listening today, and I hope you have a wonderful day.